Welcome to No Church Answers, the weekly Christian podcast for men. We're not pastors, just regular guys looking to model positive Christian leadership in our work, families, church, and communities. Want to discover ways to apply scripture effectively in everyday life? Tired of the pat answers in Sunday school? Then settle in for a gritty, authentic, and unexpectedly funny Christian podcast. And now, No Church Answers. No Church Answers. This is a Christian roundtable discussion for men. This is podcast number 304. Hard to believe, and we're glad you're here. And where is here? Here is Sugar Land, Texas. So grab a globe, spin it around. Bang. Not sure where you ended up, but spin it around. Find Texas. Southeast side of Texas is Houston. Southwest side of Houston is Sugar Land, and that is where we are. You know, we're not pastors. We're just regular guys, each on our own spiritual journey. We're out there meeting daily challenges, just like you. And that's why we're here. We're here having a Christian discussion for men. And unlike other discussions, we aren't taking any church answers. And we're glad that you've joined us. You know, this podcast has been called Deliberately Provocative and Unexpectedly Funny. So we're so glad that you checked us out. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and at NoChurchAnswers.com. So Please rate our podcast and leave a review. And of course, without your support, this podcast itself would not be a pos- possible. So uh, we are in a uh, discussion. We've been in the study of Simply Jesus, a new vision of who he was, uh, what he did, and why he matters by N.T. Wright. It's been an excellent, excellent discussion. And I'm going to go ahead and jump right in and introduce the panel at this time. He's a former world-class policy writer and a professional gambler. Happens to be the show producer as well. That's Mr. Steve Titch. Hello, Steve Titch. He's a uh, former prosecutor. He's an attorney, the group historian. We call him the judge. It's Michael Cropper. Hey, my guys. How are you? And uh, out on an excused absence is uh, the professor, Robert Koshy. He's out there throwing axes tonight, so way to go, Robert. I hope your aim is good. It's all fun and games well, until know somebody the... loses a hand. That's right. <laughs> That's right. What's the target he's throwing at? That's, <laughs> That's exactly right. right. Oh, thro- at the target. At the target. That's right. At the target. Now, before we jump in, I just want to say something that I saw. Do you guys know who, I mean, I know this is a Christian roundtable discussion for men, but this shows the power of the Lord. Did you guys know who Kat Von D is? Who? I don't think so. I... Kat Von D is, she's a influencer. She's a model. She's all tatted. She has her own line of, of uh, satanic type stuff with... Uh, with all sorts of, I mean, with the colors and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and, and it's made a, 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 a good living off of it, off of that image. She recently was baptized and got rid of all of her satanic books. Praise God. I, no, and you know what, and, and I was having this discussion with my wife before we came here, you know, and you will hear about these miraculous transformations of people, you know, uh, being baptized and coming to the Lord. I don't ever remember it going the other way. It's like you'll slip the other way. But in order to have transformation, that's only the Lord is capable of that. So I just wanted to throw that out there before we jump right in 
on this discussion of Simply Jesus with N.T. Wright. I'm going to start off with uh, Steve Ditch. Well, actually, I think that was actually a very appropriate mm-hmm. little prelude based on what we're going to get into. We're going to tackle uh, a question that comes up often, and I'll, I'll say right out front that Christians don't know how to answer very well, and that's why did Jesus have to die? And today's Christian, no matter young or old, will, will be going around through our, our secular world of, of atheists or nuns, as we like to call them now, people who are spiritual but not religious, and maybe engage in this kind of cafeteria theology of a little bit of this religion, a little bit of that, or they develop their own idea. I think God is like this. And uh, even among Christians, we, we can talk about this, they, they look at, at, at Christianity and say, well, what kind of God forces someone to undergo a horrible, tortuous death to save the world? And then, unfortunately, the church answer, which we don't like, is usually, oh, it was God's plan. And the cynic will reply, well, what kind of sick plan is that? And then at that point, we, we Christians sometimes don't know how to answer that. So N.T. Wright is going to help us answer that question, and it's a really an answer every Christian should be able to articulate. And it's, it's yes, it's part of God's plan, but it is not a mysterious, mystical, ooh, ah, we'll never know. There's actually a bit of logic uh, and purpose and intent behind it, even if it is, at the end of the day, supernatural and deal with supernatural forces. Um, so that's, that's, that's what we got to look forward to here. Excellent. Uh, Michael Cropper. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to refer back to something the guys have talked about and we've talk, been talking about in our podcast so far, and that's simply uh, the perfect storm, which we may cover a little bit of that today as well on the podcast. And the perfect storm refers back to uh, an incident that happened off the New England coast, I think in 1991, uh, where, where three colliding air masses came together and formed a, a very, very powerful storm. Uh, I, I worked as a carpenter in residential remodeling for about 10 years before I went to law school, so I often worked outside. When our seasons were changing in the fall, uh, I could look up and see the movements of clouds. And to my surprise, when I first noticed it, when a cold front would be approaching us, I often noticed the clouds were on, th- on several different levels, and it was not unusual to see clouds moving toward each other from at least three directions literal, and you could see some go under the others. It was very fascinating, folks. And you can see that today, possibly if you're out in the open and you, when a cold front starts coming. Anyway, our book about Simply Jesus plays off the complex weather systems to illustrate the environment Jesus was born into and would face head-on with the Messiah, or as the Messiah, pardon me. The Perfect Storm. The author plays, like I said, off this illustration many times to draw a picture of the turbulent environment in which Jesus is placed and which he was born into. And we'll explain a little bit more about that later in our history. Bill? You know, it's funny that you noticed that uh, being outside (laughs) because I was a farmer and it, it was the same thing. We lived and died by the weather. And and I, I hate to keep 
bringing up the uh, <clears throat> the current political situation that we're having because so much of this is right in our face. You know, the problems that we have are often just the stuff that we have. We don't have. We don't take the. We don't take the macro view, <clears throat> but when you look at this, there's real similarities between Rome, the Pharisees, and Jesus, and what we have to deal with in our own life, what we have to, what we have to juggle. And so that's why I think this study, this has been so eye-opening to me, is that it's kind of quantified the different forces that we as men have to deal with. Steve, this is the climax. Right brings it here. The coming together, the, the trial before Pilate and the crucifixion, the final collision, the climax of, between Rome, Pharisees, and Jesus. They're all there. Uh, also, what's going to come into play, again, we've been talking about this uh, for, the, for the last few weeks, is the Exodus theme in Israel's history. The, 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 uh, that, that is such a vital part of their identity uh, that that uh, and, and it plays again over and over through Babylon and even right up to this point with the Roman occupation. Um, there's a tyrant, a leader like Moses, a victory like the escape from Egypt, a sacrifice is involved, um, a, a vocation, someone is called, it doesn't all happen in this, this exact order, there's a divine presence, God is with the Israelites, as they leave, you know, pillar of fire and cloud and during the day, and of course the tent of meeting, which is built at the end of Exodus, and finally this promised inheritance. That is going to get replayed here on a cosmic level. And finally, who's going to replay it but this Messiah that has been prophesized for centuries. Uh, and it by now it has developed into an idea of an anticipated Messiah that would bring liberation through battle and a cleansing of the temple. Although by now some of that had been, some of that thinking had tended to be, go toward the idea that the Messiah was going to be a nationalist military leader. And that's kind of what everyone was expecting, even the devout. And, Jesus, again, we've been talking about that for the last few weeks, had a completely different vocation, to use Wright's term, uh, in mind. Uh, folks, what Steve was telling you was a little bit of the history and, and how this is all fits in to Wright's book on Simply Jesus. And that's simply the system. And as I had mentioned earlier, yes, and, and, and the, uh, the storm itself promotes details from the perfect storm, and and Wright plays into three particular sections, and he calls those three sections of the environment that Jesus was born into. Uh, he says that Rome is from the west, the cold front from the west, right along the, the west that uh, that the perfect storm uh, was located on in New England, and then the high pressure system was in Israeli's culture, which Steve pointed out as the exodus. And folks, they hold on to this tenaciously. This is their heritage, the exodus, and especially the Passover to which Jesus is going to be entering into. Uh, and then thirdly, the third part of the storm, which was sitting off the coast of New England, is in fact God himself 
and the intent that he has of bringing a new kingdom to the Israeli people. Bill? And uh, I would like to uh, just chime in something that uh, wasn't really touched in on the book, and but it, it happens in our lives. And the, the Messiah, liberation from the Messiah, and how it morphed into being military. It seems like when you have groups, if you have a small group, you can be saved. You can be saved by being agile. You can be saved by being smart. You can be saved by being crafty, uh, having that kind of edge. But as groups get bigger and they they have more in numbers, almost always it turns to be military. Like because we can bludgeon you with force because. You don't have to be agile. You don't have to. You're not making up for anything. And that's why it was so, when he, as he was going into it, I was just thinking about it. It makes perfect sense how over the years it morphed into kind of a military battle. Kind well, of I, I think your first sense. set of scriptures will talk a little bit about the person who is going to be the Messiah will have a great strength. Right? right, and you can easily read that as being a military presence or a leader, right? Yes, absolutely. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and get right into the uh, into the reading. Uh, this is uh, Isaiah nine, six and seven, uh, fifty three one through six, and ten through thirteen. Got it, you got it. Go For to us a child is born. Sorry. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, 
and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What a phenomenal opposite set of scriptures. You have one that looks like a royal king. You could almost equate to Solomon, right? The first set of the, the scriptures with wonderful counselor. And he will be his mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And, of course, we know this from the, what, the hallelujah chorus we uh, sing I every U.S. Handel's Messiah, yeah. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's just phenomenal, folks. You can't help but read that if you're a believer in Christ and not feel the Holy Spirit well up in you with pride how great this is written. Uh, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. And then you go to, uh, and the, pardon me, the last line, the zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. God is making this happen. Jesus, remember, folks, there is a power behind Jesus. While we think he's endued with God's power, remember, he can tap into it. But he asked the Lord God Almighty, his father, every time, many times when he was praying, he asked him for power to heal the sick. Or, or in Lazarus' case, he said, Father God, bring forth this miracle of Lazarus, raise him from the dead so that the people may see it. So while Jesus is believed to be the Godhead, yet he asked God and he had to tap in his authority to, to heal the many, many people. Now, and then Isaiah 53, I'm sure the guys want to talk about this, folks. This is our, our, our absolute uh, set of scriptures that we run to then we, when we point to Jesus, why he was placed on the cross, and he had to go to the cross because he was and because the scriptures and the facts here and the words state that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, and surely took our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered and we thought him to be punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. And, and, and then finally, folks, therefore... Uh, God or the Isaiah states in verse 12, I will give this man a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life to death and was numbered with the criminals or the transgressions is the word he used for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Guys, that's just the, two well, different things. This, go, is, go but this, is, this is, I think, what, one, what Wright's main point where he starts, because the way Isaiah was understood then, and I, I don't, I, I, I never had a chance to maybe check in with a pastor or someone who's gone through seminary. It's a seminary question. I do not know how 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 Jews today view these prophecies, uh, but the I I think back then, according to Wright, the tendency that the, the royal figure described in 967 and the suffering servant were two different individuals or entities that the, the suffering servant was not a prophesied messiah right. uh, the, right. the what Jesus's vocation is again to use Wright's term is essentially the two come together and that's that's how this deliverance is going to be accomplished. And looking back at as Christians at some of these prophecies, we can see this. Now, I, I pulled out 
nine, six, seven, but but right before right before the reading from chapter fifty-three, um, in chapter fifty-two of Isaiah, there is another similar type of royal prophecy. And what's interesting, without much of a break or transition, it jumps into the servant prophecy, which I think is a question to ask. And I always champion the editors of the Bible that they were also divinely inspired as the authors were. Why these two, these two, uh, these two read these two descriptions come together? So I, but but really, first of all, and, and this is important from a Christian perspective, we see the royal figure and the suffering servant together as characteristics of, of the prophesied Messiah. And we, we're, we don't have time to get into it, but Wright also draws similar, similar, similar juxtaposition from Daniel 7, the Son of Man coming on the clouds, and Zechariah, where we get the, the idea of this humble king arriving on the colt, on the back of a colt, back of a donkey, as, as Jesus does in, 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 on Palm Sunday, and becoming an ultimate king ruler of this new, new God-driven order. And yes, Mike, Mike, it's very important. Both prophecies talk about the servant and the, and the, uh, the king. That's called the, the king, the royal personage, and the servant equating with the arm of God. This is a God-driven plan, and God is with this person. That's that's my my exegesis. (laughs) (laughs) And excellent. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. This is No Church Answers, and we'll be right back. Hey, pastors and church leaders. Are you looking to create an exciting program that will attract, engage, and inspire men in your congregation? Book a live Man Up Spiritual Oasis podcast for your next men's ministry event. Called authentic, gritty, and unexpectedly funny, Man Up has been delighting podcast listeners since 2017. We're not pastors, just regular guys willing to talk about scripture and how we can apply it to our personal faith journeys. Man Up is a refreshing alternative to predictable motivational speakers, offering your audience a chance to connect with everyday Christian men who don't settle for routine Sunday school answers. Interested in learning more? Visit man-upspiritualoasis.com or contact Bill Cox at liveshow at manupmedia.org. And now, back to the fellows of Man Up. And welcome back. This is No Church Answers, podcast number 304. Uh, we are in the study of Simply Jesus by N.T. Wright, and the title for this is Why Did the Messiah Have to Die? And with that, I'm going to go ahead and go right into the next reading, and this is from John 19, 16 through 22, and 28 through 30. Finally... Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, where they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the crosses. We read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, Many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, 
do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. We had, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When you read that, you can just imagine the all the main principles in this particular story, and that they really have no idea. If we, as we've said many times, the spoke in the wheel, <laughs> what this is. Some think it's the end. I, I believe that the Pharisees thought. Hey, this is this is it. It's done. Pilate was thinking, huh, I'm, I'm finally done with this as well. But Jesus, he knew. This was the beginning. Well, yeah, this is, and and, and we, we had a discussion about this back uh, earlier this year around Easter about the about the miracle of the cross, the work of the cross, what happened. Well, this all informs some of that. We're taking it from a little different angle here. Uh, but this, uh, you're, you're, it's, it's everything's everything's coming together in God's plan here, and the having had a having now have had had experience with a number of denominations, Catholics, which I grew in, tend tend to look at the horror of this um, and the bleakness, and and when I was growing up. We never did anything on Good Friday. It was a day just to, to hang our heads uh, because this this horrible thing was happening. It was bloody. It was it was torturous. The uh, on the other end of the scale, you come down to the evangelical churches, and they talk about victory. And they well, while while it is acknowledged that this is this is uh, this was a terrible situation, it's. It was terrible that it had to happen. The accent is on that it had to happen, and there is victory in this. And that is because a the the battle, the battle that we've been talking about, the battle that the other messianic figures we talked about had, they had the battle with the governing earthly powers, be them Rome or Syria, the Anti uh, Antiochus, or later other other Roman leaders. And they were all crushed. They were all put down. They all they all ended. In this situation, it, it looks like it ended. But Jesus's foe, Jesus was not fighting the Romans or the Pharisees. And and here's where it gets daring and mystical, and Christians worry about it. And but I'll I'll go back to Mike on this. He Jesus was battling Satan himself. The powers of evil and darkness, and that is why, in order to in order to take on this, he had to experience death, 
because that was, in many ways, the only way he was going to conquer. He did it. Death in the scriptures is equated with sin. It is equated with idolatry, rebellion, disobedience. Sin, all that would be defeated along with death. But death is going to pour out all the weight upon him. I'm quoting right here. And the creator God is overcoming it. And it will show it up as a defeated enemy. And that's, that's why Jesus goes through this. Because it's not the Roman Empire. It's, and, and that's why I think we understand whatever it is where the idea of eternal life comes from. And, you know, it's, I don't know if it's going to be heaven or whatever, but, and, and this is the great hope, I find, in, in Christian religion. God, God won. We, we believe in a God that, you know, is not in some perpetual Manichaean battle with the forces of evil. You know, one day, one day evil wins, the other day God wins, and so on. God has won. And the kingdom is, is, on, is, is, is emerging, maybe bit by bit. But I think that's, that's when, when, if you're a non-Christian or you're from another tradition, when you hear about, especially Protestants, talk about the victory of the cross, that's it. You know, when I, real quick, Mike. Um, go ahead, go ahead. When I think of this, I think about the people that die with purpose. I think of, uh, of people that... Uh, are in the military. I think of uh, people, like I've said many times before, <clears throat> the first responders, the, the people that are out there putting themselves on the line for something good. Everybody is going to die. These people choose to die for a reason, for a purpose. It just so happens that Jesus chose to die for a huge purpose, a, a huge reason. It, it had, it, it was, it was the next, it was the next steps. But the thing about it is, Satan kept tempting until the very end. So it's almost as if, like you said in your notes, and Wright said in the book, he had to die, otherwise Satan would have claimed victory, whether he got it through his temptations or if it came at the end. He still could have claimed victory, and that's why you had to put the you had to put the the back the back page, you know, the the back cover on it. Death, physical death had to happen. Mike? Yeah, they, they, the folks, what we're talking about here, you don't hear about it. You hear that Pilate made the decision to have Jesus crucified. The Jewish leaders made the decision to have him crucified. Pilate and the Roman government wanted him crucified because he was labeled as a rebel. They don't want rebels. They don't want somebody bringing up rebellion that will challenge the king, who happened to be at that time, I think, um, what, Caesar? Well, Caesar, and Herod was the king over king Judea, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. right? So, so from all appearance, it looks like Rome is going to put him to death because the Jewish leaders convinced them that Jesus was a rebel 
and he was a threat to the throne in Rome. So both of them, all this appearance is in front of us, and you won't see what the guys are telling you, what, what's behind them. You always want to get to the source of this belief, okay? Uh, and, and the source happens to be Satan. Uh, the battle that was played out on the cross, it was not, uh, by, by the way, if, if, if you could ever make a little bit of humor out, it, out of it, you would, you would go back to Flip Wilson when he was on TV. If Pilate or the other people, the Roman leaders that put Jesus to death, or the, the, the centurions, if they could have ever made a humorous statement, if they looked back over it after Jesus died and they rose again, and they said, wow, they would have said, man, the devil made me do it. Right, but the fact is, that's exactly what happened, and that's what Steve is telling, what Bill is telling you. Had had Jesus not gone to, first of all, he overcame the devil once in the forty days of temptation. Right, we know that he was tempted, and he was flesh was tempted above all else, and he conquered that the temptation. Then he had to come back, and he had to conquer, conquer death life, evil, and sin. And, and, and in fact, the, the, the author of the book calls he had to defeat Satan, who was the author of anti-creation, or Satan was the developer of anti-creation. God was a creator. Satan is the anti-creator. So Jesus had to die. Now, folks, remember, Jesus didn't raise himself. The guys have said this. God was staying behind the scenes, and when it was time, he raised Jesus from the dead. And the ultimate victory was God himself, and that's testified to in a lot of the scriptures where God himself, if you look in Daniel 7, Satan comes against him as, a four, as four beasts, and then finally a really ugly, ugly beast. And Daniel prophesies, and Daniel is one of the great, great prophets that the Jews recognize for the end time and for the coming of the Messiah. And God himself is sitting on the throne and there is one introduced to him called the Son of Man who comes in the clouds and he's very righteous and very holy. And he comes and the great ugly beast confronts him and the holy ones of God and he starts winning. He starts conquering. It's very much like we're talking about right now. And he starts winning and the ancient one gets up off his throne and intercedes and destroys the ugly beast who is Satan. And this particular set of facts in this particular uh, image that, that God uses through Daniel. And, and he destroys him. And then the Holy One, and, pardon me, then the Son Man who appears before him sits down and reigns with God on the throne. So there is there are more allusions to this that that in fact and this by the way could be the reason the Jews believe a Messiah will be a great conqueror another reason we have already looked at that regarding uh, the the Holy Holy Course and that particular passage in Isaiah where where the uh, uh, the man will come representing God that has the government on his shoulders but anyway a lot of this has ramifications. So Steve mentioned something very clear, folks. If you listen to him, he said, why is there two passages? There's a passage of the suffering servant, and there's a passage of the winning Messiah, the winning king. From what I've read, I looked on the internet a number of times, the Jews believe there are two. There will be a suffering, a suffering servant that will help win the battle against evil. 
but God himself will come and rule, and the suffering servant will die. But what has been combined here in these scriptures and what we have come to know and, and what the guys are talking about again is that Jesus was both. And the, the kingdom that he had to win over was a kingdom of evil and sin and death. And then he had to establish what we've been talking about all along, the kingdom here on earth. And by him dying on the cross and then God resurrecting him, that opened the door to the kingdom being here on earth. Am I correct? Am I yeah, saying no, that yeah, correct, Steve? There. No, no, you have to be. A, uh, you, I, 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 we're not pastors, but <laughs> no, no. I think, but I think that's no, we're, essentially what, what we're reading. talking about. What we're reading. No, now I got a fun question for yeah. us because I, I kind of, we kind of, see, we kind of hitting it on on two ways, and, and there's probably no right answer, but it's just fun to talk about because you you were you, you were saying just a moment ago about Satan fighting everything, kind of. Uh, Back in 1955, a Greek author, Nick Kazantakis, wrote a book called The Last Temptation of Christ, which is made into a movie. And a lot of Christians misunderstand it. They think it's blasphemous, but it's dead on. It's exactly that. The, the devil, Satan, doing everything he can to stop this, this act of crucifixion. Yeah. And so the last temptation is, hey, here you are, Jesus. Here's what it could be if you got off the cross. You could be happy, married. You'd be a happy Nazarene with a family, with Mary Magdalene, and none of this would happen. You'd be great. It's a great what if, except the world was a horrible place if that happened. But Satan would win. Now, or else we got the other end, which kind of you were alluding to, that, that God kind of, and I don't want to say it quite this, but God let Satan, you know, you do know his work, you know, around, you know, with the Pharisees, with the Roman Empire, and basically let Satan fall into this trap like it was a big chess game and um, and Satan at the last minute realized oh good heavens he, he, that, that, that was that was Satan's complete blindside that that there'd be this enormous act of sacrifice that would lead to his defeat so I don't know guy what do you think was 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 Satan doing everything to stop it, or was Satan so-called, quote-unquote, played? I think he was played. <laughs> and, 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 here, and, here's, and here's... We and like here's, to think that. Well, That's right. Okay. That's right. That's good. And, and here's, here's the reason why. Because, obviously, God has the power to hammer Satan. And, but he didn't. He allowed... Satan to go through the steps, the different temptations, and the gyrations with Jesus. And even to be there up until the end, because I think God knew the situation. It was going to it was going to be have to be something absolutely significant that was to save to save people. And and his own his own son's death was that and so I think up until that point there was it was uh, it was just uh, minorly it was uh, spring training uh, to use a baseball reference uh, these little skirmishes and these little temptations and stuff and, and and even the Pharisees were a part of it as well but then game seven <laughs> game seven man uh, I mean, and, and and a lot of people talk about how 
you go into sudden death. No, no, no. Game seven is sudden life. You know, you you finally you finally win. You're alive. You know, you know what I'm saying? You don't go into the, the, the sudden death. It's sudden life. And I really feel that up until this point, it was just kind of skirmishes until the main battle and and then game seven happened. Oh, we can talk a little bit about the temple. You brought things oh, up on go, that. Go ahead, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, folks, uh, we have talked about, Zechariah talks about the one who comes and the Messiah, I believe, the Holy One that comes and uh, and he fights for Israel and Jerusalem. He fights as God and then he wins and leads the nations uh, in victory. And then he will also build the temple of the Lord and he shall sit and rule on the throne. That's Zechariah 6, 12 through 13. I didn't give you the other scriptures, which are Zechariah 14, 5 and uh, Zechariah 3 and 8, the servant who is also the branch, which we mentioned from Isaiah earlier. But I have something to comment on because many times we come up over and over about the temple and the, the issue in question has come up whether or not the second temple that was in position at the time of Christ, whether or not God was actually at that temple. Okay? Was it as holy as the first temple of Solomon? And I'm going to tell you, I, I, we have not got a definitive answer. The Jewish people really don't know the definitive, an, definitive answer to that. But I'm going to tell you, I don't think it was. It was not holy. Do you guys know why? It's it's so to me it's so blatantly obvious. It wasn't obvious at the time I had to think about this. The Ark of the Covenant was not there. God sits on the top of the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And that was his exact point. It, it wasn't the temple where God was so holy and touched them and talked to them. It was the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant where he dwelled between the two cherubs, right? And when Babylon came and destroyed the temple, we never heard what happened to the Ark of the Covenant after that. Am I correct? Yes, guys, yeah. That, have you guys that, heard no, we talked about that a little last week. Oh, you did? Um, you did. When that, that, that now the Holy of Holies is empty. That's Okay, good, um, and, good, and, good. And, and, yes. Okay, that, good. The, the I didn't catch that there. line. That's um, good. And, and, and But yes, and we talked about the idea, and again, it's worth, worth bringing up again. The has the, the temple now as a structure, as a building, as a... a, a has its time come to an end in God's plan? Has because yes. because and 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 as part and again Robert brought this up at the time of Jesus's death it is written that the temple the that curtain that sure. was that that veiled the the holy of holies where 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 God dwelled is torn in two. Be, uh, creating this access, creating the symbolic access, but and then uh, roughly 35 years after this event, 35, 37, uh, depending how you date the crucifixion, AD 70, the temple is destroyed, right. and uh, and and though the way we understand it as Christians, a new temple has been created by Jesus. This exactly. is the cleansing. And that the, the God, God now dwells with us in our hearts. He doesn't need this structure or an ark to to come down to. So in that way, the battle, this is what was misunderstood. The battle is not against Rome or earthly powers. 
battle was against dark forces. You can personify that as Satan. It was basically against anti-creation, as you put it. And the, the restoration of the temple is, is essentially ourselves becoming a the ability and to be vessels of the Holy Spirit, which is which is then granted to us shortly after, shortly after these events. No, so, that's fantastic. Um, the the um, the, that question keeps coming up over and over again, and 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 that simply, uh, Satan was actually the the one to be defeated, mm -hmm. not the Romans, mm -hmm. not the Israelites, uh, the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin who had Jesus put to death. They were merely pawns or tools of Satan, which Bill asked about. Uh, Bill commented on that. In fact, he was used. Satan was used. Anyway, Bill. Excellent. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take our second break. This is uh, No Church Answers. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Bill Cox, director of Man Up, Spiritual Oasis for Men. We hope you enjoy our show as much as we enjoy doing it. But our ministry needs your support if we are to continue to bring our TV show, our podcast, our live shows to men seeking spiritual refreshment. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a patron of Man Up, Spiritual Oasis. Get more details at our page on patreon.com. If you would like to support us directly, you can make a contribution through PayPal at donate at manupmedia.org. All contributions are tax deductible. We're not pastors, just regular guys. So whether you're successful or struggling, we hope to bring you the good news of God's saving grace as we share our own spiritual journeys. Please consider supporting Man Up and No Church Answers today. And welcome back. This is No Church Answers. We're talking about uh, why did the Messiah have to die? And this is, uh, we're, we're using the text of Simply Jesus uh, by N.T. Wright, a new vision of who he was, what he did, and why he matters. And we're just talking about the, <clears throat> about Satan and his position in this, I personally feel that the defeat of Satan is defeating the Satan in all of us. And that is what this particular part of it represented. And when you look at, when you look at this, Jesus, throughout his whole ministry, had to tussle with Satan. And I think inevitably in our lives, it's representative of what we do on a daily basis and how we have to resist the temptations and and deal with with all the all the Satan and and just minutia that takes us away from God on a daily basis. As we get towards the end of our life and there's an accounting for it. And I think ultimately there is in all of our lives going to be a moment when this is the real war. <laughs> this is game seven. This is where you either knock out Satan or Satan knocks you out. And I think that is exactly what we're getting to at this end. I think you're right. I think, I think also, but the, the thing to remember is that Satan... 
Satan has been defeated, so he's already kind of already got you've already got a one-upsmanship because because you you have been claimed by God through 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 the sacrifice of Jesus. You are you're already you know you're already in that camp, and uh, and if we, if you want to read Revelation a certain way, you can say that final battle will be fought on your behalf. Already the first part has. And the Holy Spirit will will help you fight the 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 remaining the remaining influences that Satan has, and I'm not downplaying it. In fact, as we move on toward the end of the study, we will kind of talk about well, where why is Satan still probing this world? Why is he still active? Why is there evil in the world when supposedly this 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 work of salvation has been completed, has been finished? So. Uh, I don't really want to. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to throw out free will. I mean, and that's yeah, I, you, and, 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 you know, and that's the, and that's the reason, uh, Michael Cropper. Yeah, uh, 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 folks, I'm going to go tell you something a little practical here that, that helps me understand this a little bit. And, and again, I'm going to refer to uh, Steve and Bill's Bill's questions. Why did Jesus have to die? And I'm going to compare it to something I had. Let's compare this to getting your automobile repaired. In, in my case, I was 15 years old and I had a Honda 150, a, a twin-cylinder motorcycle. And, and you had to set the tappets on the top of the engine with a screw. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. But anyway, uh, I drive, dropped one of the timing screws down into the engine accidentally. Yeah, right, right. And, and, and it fell down. And it fell to the bottom, we think, but you don't know, right? You don't know if it fell into the gears below it. And by the way, the tappet screws for the timing on the engine was at the very top of the engine. Okay? So it fell to the bottom, hopefully, but I, I, I likely would never circulate up to moving parts. I took it to a, a Honda dealer and, and, and a place that repaired them. I said, what do you think I should do? They said, well, you can take a chance, and I, by the way, I didn't drive it. I had it put on the back of a truck and took it over there. And, and they said, you can wait and see if, it, if that screw comes up and, and locks up in the engine, and then it'll cost you a fortune. You might as well have another engine or rebuild the engine, right? Or we can take it apart for a lot cheaper amount and take out the screw if it's really in the bottom, and that will save you a great cost. Um, so it's possible, anyway. It's cheaper to take the engine apart and take out the screw than to rebuild the engine if the screw goes into the gears, like I said, and seizes the engine. In other words, my engine had to be put to death to receive another life, okay? (laughs) Without a threat of a more costly death, okay? And and, in a way, I kind of see that with them tackling Satan through Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came here to that death, and he chose to die, and God gave him the opportunity. I, I, I don't know they really gave him the opportunity. He says, this is your mission. This is your vocation, as you guys have said. And Jesus said, I will accept it and do that. And he came here to, to halt the furtherance of Satan going any further with taking over the world. And that was, to me, like, like pulling the engine apart and stopping it from getting worse. Uh, Jesus came, and he said, enough is enough. I'm going to stop the furtherance of sin and evil. And I'm going to be put to death in order to do that, right? And then God will raise me from the dead. My father will raise me from done. And I have to take the chance that he's really telling the truth. He will do that. 
Anyway, so, and, and finally, in, in, in John 12, 30 to 31 to 32, Jesus told his disciples, this is very interesting, and folks, I know you're all familiar with it. He says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all nations to me. That means when I'm put on the cross, when I'm crucified, I will defeat death and evil, like you said. And in fact, I love the, the term, right, is anti-creation. The powers behind the countries will be defeated, and the power behind the countries is Satan. Okay. Well, think about this. Imagine Jesus <clears throat> comes in on the cult. Um, they, uh, they have his trial, and then Pilate goes, eh, tell you what, instead of crucifying you, why don't you sneak out the back and I'll just tell them that we crucified you. Okay? Here, here's the here's the open door. Okay? Sneak out the back. We'll never see you again. How would Jesus' impact and his ministry be then? Well, he kind of gave him that opportunity, didn't he? He says, are you really the king of Jews? Bill, you're hitting the nail on the head. Exactly. He gave Jesus the opportunity he to back out. He gave him the opportunity, but no. He manned up. This is my moment. This is what God has prepared me for. I don't want it as he prayed in the garden. <laughs> and he was sweating blood. But he knew for his ministry, for the people, he had to have that public, horrible, physical death. So when he came back, people would realize, hey, he, he's born. He's born again. He lives. Steve? Kind of to wrap it up, to give you some, some of my, my takeaways. Um, well, first of all, we see, the, again, we see, we see the whole exodus played out now. I mean, as I said on this cosmic level, the tyrant is not not Pharaoh, the tyrant is Satan, is evil. The leader, of course, is Jesus and his divine victory. He is, Jesus is the sacrifice and the vocation. He's the ruler and the suffering servant. The divine presence comes from, um, from, from the Holy Spirit. And, and again, we are now promised this inheritance of eternal life, of, of a something else beyond this, that, that, that goes beyond this, this current physical world. Um, and, and kind of to, to wrap my end up, I, I think and I've got to kind of go off a little, little different direction, because this, this plays into what, what I sometimes talk about here, about the importance of our podcast. Uh, and I'm sure those men definitely picked up on your analogy of the, the engine that yeah, had right. to that was had a great to analogy, me. Mike. You had to kill to read <laughs> But and but you know Bible literacy is so important, and this is why this is why it comes important to understanding what happened on the cross. There are there are Christians out there who will tell you oh, you don't have to worry about the old the Old Testament. It's it's all it's the Old Testament. But everything everything in the Old Testament leads up to this moment. Uh, we talked we the the Exodus model yeah. is the model for the victory of the cross. All the all the prophets, 
which we've talked about the important ones. They're all in there. They're all really laying out what's going to happen. And even remember that the, the the first Christians were were Jews, were 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 an offshoot of who accepted Jesus as the promised Messiah, and accepted it because they were witnesses to the resurrection, and they realized this this was the victory, not not kicking out the Romans. This was the greatest of all victories. Um, so. So this is, that, but this is why it's so important because otherwise you're just left unable to answer some of the tough questions that either skeptics or atheists will have. Uh, and yeah, at the end of the day, it's a it's faith or not. I mean, you're not going to convince somebody uh, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah who doesn't want to believe Jesus is the Messiah or doesn't want to believe that Satan is real or, or evil is real. We've gotten a little past that in the 80s. In the 70s, there was, you know, they were heading into the psychological movements. Oh, there is no such thing as evil. There is no, just just people who are confused, misguided, or could be cured of whatever they have. Uh, we're, we're back to a little better understanding of that, I think, in, in this day and age. Um, but nonetheless, uh, to go back to what, what I was saying to, to you, Bill, it's been that evil is on the run. Let's put it that way. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom was declared with the with the coming of Jesus, his vocation, his death, and his resurrection, which again we'll we'll get to talk about next week. Or either, nice. either in the, the next either, either in the next two podcasts, maybe. Excellent. Uh, Michael Cropper, a takeaway from you? That was my takeaway. Oh, oh I <laughs> don't don't drop your tappet screws in the cylinder. Of that's your exactly engine, so. that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, but thank you. No, no, I thought you had asked for it earlier. Right, right, right. right. My apologies. And and the thing about it is, my takeaway on this is, you need to pick up this book. This book is. I don't, at times, it's actually shaken my faith, but it's really deepened the understanding that I had of what was going on at that time in that era. And of course, we have the uh, we have the good fortune of being able to look through the lens of two thousand years as well as our own faith to to try and to understand this and. And and get applications for it, and I'm I'm really excited about next week as we get close to wrapping up this book. <clears throat> and thanks so much for tuning in. And on, once again, on behalf of uh, our sponsors and supporters, and our producer Steve Titch, Michael Cropper, my name is Bill Cox. Talk with you next week. You've been listening to No Church Answers, the weekly Christian podcast for men. Tell us what you think. Leave a comment or a review. Want to know more about us? Then visit NoChurchAnswers.com and our Facebook page. Check out our video series on our YouTube channel. You can also become a patron of No Church Answers by visiting our Patreon page. No Church Answers is a production of Man Up Spiritual Oasis Media, which is solely responsible for its content.